I thought it was a delight, maybe a little tried and true, but did not feel tired to me at all. And I thought there was enough there to just make me laugh. I mean, they called it inhumane resources. I mean, it's just like so good. And grandma comes with ads because they can't afford the, the ad free version. The joke's so good. One of the daughters like, grandma, is that you? I thought you were dead. <laughs> she goes, well, based on this message of hope and also some death, like, are you interested in cryogenic freezing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So recently on Quarantine Comics, we noticed how we were slipping into the habit of reading a lot of nonfiction graphic novels, historical or autobiographical takes that were taking us to some pretty heavy places. From the rise of fascism and the Holocaust to the hard truths and questionable human rights of the Middle East, from Cambodia to Mumbai, from Russia to Ukraine, from an adolescence mirror to our terrible world, to teen depression, to 20-something melancholy, and even modern tales of queer and trans understanding. So let's lighten things up. Well, Ryan, old chum, I've got just the thing for you. What would you say if I told you this week we'd be reading about the future? The future, Roman? That's right, contractual friend. Let's glimpse into the future all the way past the year 2000. In the year 2000! I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And if robots don't steal Conan O'Brien's old material, we're two dudes who will. This week, we continue forward through the alphabet for the letter N, for Not All Robots, a future fiction work by Mark Russell, who you might remember for such schadenfreude takes on modern society through the lens of comics through critically acclaimed comics like the Flintstones. And if Russell's take on the past with the Flintstones is pessimistic, I'm sure his version of the future will be as rosy as blood in a stool sample. Not exactly. All right, Roman, stress us out a little more, why don't you? Well, at least this comic has got some jokes and body horror. Well, now we're talking my language. So, in Not All Robots, writer Mark Russell and artist Mike Diodato Jr. drop us into the year of our Lord 2056, where robots have replaced human beings in the workforce. An uneasy coexistence develops between the newly intelligent robots and the 10 billion humans living on Earth, who are mostly living in bubble cities because, well, we fucked up the environment. Since AI and robots have taken over all the jobs, save hairdressers, every human family is assigned a robot upon whom they are completely reliant. We spend most of the story in the bubble city of Atlanta with the Walters, a human family whose robot Razorball, who gets renamed Snowball, which I'm sure will be as successful as Twitter being renamed X. The house robot Snowball ominously spends his free time in the garbage, but we also spend time in his robot place of work making ma mandroids, his inevitable replacement, having his robot compatriots telling him to remove his empathy chip, kind of like Data from Star Trek. We also get to hear lots of human and robot cable news style commentary that is equal parts hilarious and warning sign of the things to come. Did I mention that the book won the prestigious Eisner Award in 2022 for Best Humor Publication? So here to help us navigate what possibly could go wrong in this sci-fi satire is longtime friend of the pod, John Kreiner. Welcome back to Quarantine Comics, John. Gee, thanks, guys. Great to be back. Glad to be here for a book that's not about anime incest or Israeli birth trips. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to make you read Mouse, but we found another Jewish person to talk about past genocides. Whew, dodged a bullet. 
<laughs> all right, so let's bust right into it. What do you guys think about not all robots? I mean, all three of us work in tech. Is ad tech tech or is it just fancy arbitrage? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, the monetization of technology through sweet, sweet ads will make us all buy more shampoo, snacks, and robots. Anyway, I don't know, John. What do you think of not all robots? Well, you've got an ad-free version of John here today. I I thought it was great. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. Struck the right tone. I did not know of Mark Russell's deeper meeting throughout and just enjoyed it, especially in the time now where AI is all that everyone's talking about. We've got global councils on, like, how do we limit this and make sure AI is not taking over the world? And then here's this nice tee-up to a story where robots have, in fact, taken over the world and we've traded ease of life for being the pets to technology. So I thought it was well-timed and just really good. What about you, Roman? I think people don't talk enough about robots. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, I mean, I'd read this once before when it came out and it was fun to read it again. And it's kind of like watching a good episode of 30 Rock and like seeing the jokes land because you know where the story's going. So it was a lot of fun. And I, the second time around, did read the afterword where Mark Russell talks about how the book is actually about toxic masculinity. So it's left me thinking. Ryan, what about you? I thought it was, you know, obviously super relevant today, given what we're going through with AI and the way AI is taking over. And I, there were some genuinely really funny and creative moments around, about the society. I love the fact that, you know, he got his defense, one of the robots accused of murdering, well, an entire city, got his entire defense on a thumb drive, which is actually kind of dated now that I think about it, but he got it on a thumb drive. And it's just basically his innocence or guilt is all sort of algorithmically computed. And I just kind of love like little touches like that. At its best, some of the world building was really, really, really creative. And I, I love the touches that Mark Russell put into it. Can I shit on it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're only like five minutes in. So yeah, well, go go, it, let's go. Let's go. Let's go on about like what we liked about it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, John, you kind of covered it. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but at the same time, it does. I mean, the, the little jibs and jabs within the family, the snowballs, like workplace drama. I don't know, just, it was really comfortable, and but at the same time, really cynical. And then, you know, now it feels, when you think about it from the perspective of robots, automation, AI, totally makes sense this is inevitably where it's going including with the environment but uh, you know as we literally just lived through a few weeks where we couldn't go outside because the sky was orange i don't know i, I will the... say that jonathan and i went outside on that day anyway and actually ran i'm just putting that out there but that was right before the sky went turned orange and apocalyptic wow <laughs> yeah, i legitimately remember like eventually everyone that day everyone was like taking pictures of orange skies and then people started posting pictures from Blade Runner <laughs> and I immediately started thinking actually about this book and a few others where you know we've just gotten to the point where the environment means we just don't go outside ever but I don't know what else I was gonna say <laughs> that's actually probably very true in places in like Texas right now it's too hot yeah where was this Flagstaff right where they've had like consistent like 19, and triple digit 20 yeah. Yeah. yeah days straight of triple digits I mean that dystopia is very quickly coming true. I think more this year than last year. And I'm, I'm kind of dreading what summer of 2024 is going to bring. Well, so would you trade it to live in a bubble where you know that you'll be able to go outside every day and the weather will be fine? We'll have, we'll, every, everywhere will be San Diego. 
I'd actually trade it to live in San Francisco. I'm just going to kind of like, I can't bring a firearm there, but I just bring a bow and arrow and, you know, just use it to fend off the fentanyl addicts. <laughs> no, but I mean, that part hit close to home and then it just kind of, of oh, the environment, the bubbles, you can't go outside because we just had it. But it, it just kind of set up the other stuff. Like when you think about being replaced and I, I, I want to come back to this. So Mark Russell said he wrote it not actually as treatise on like AI and automation because this was written one years ago. It was more about toxic masculinity. And what's interesting is that kind of like I'm being replaced, I'm being persecuted, like mentality that people are feeling or that's what they're reacting to. Like once I started thinking about all the moments of both how the robots reacting, how robot society is reacting, how cable news is reacting. I don't know. It just, uh, it's a wonderful metaphor for the book. And whether you take the AI side or as Russell declares it, the toxic masculinity side. Yeah. But then is it, I mean, is Mark Russell just like, it's like a whole big thing of mansplaining. Here's a white guy here to talk about (laughs) how other white guys are bad in the me too movement. And like, he needs to explain it to us. I don't know. No, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take issue with that. I do think you need someone from the majority explaining it to the other majorities. Yeah. He's not explaining it. To be clear, he's not explaining it to to the people who are suffering from it. If that makes sense. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think you need. I think you need someone from the group to mansplain it. So, actually, Jonathan kind of touched on one of my issues with it, though, for a different reason, which is that it was broadly satirical, but I could kind of see the story sort of mapping to specific issues. And I thought initially when I read it, it was race relations because I was thinking of the George Floyd situation, the the riots Mm. that were happening between the robots and the humans kind of reminded me of the riots that came about after George Floyd was killed. And so that's where I thought it was coming from. I was a little bit surprised to read afterward and realize, oh, he was actually referring to toxic masculinity. But regardless of what he was trying to write the book felt very metaphorical and that's where i took issue with it because i felt he lost a lot of really interesting opportunities to create a very unusual world because the robots yes they're robots but fundamentally emotionally in terms of how they react to everything they're human right they are hate going to work they complain about the people that they work for They're like, oh, I fucking hate this job. And given that they are AI and that this is ostensibly an exploration of AI or that AI is like a big aspect of this world, I would have thought that he would have made the robots a little bit quirkier, right? Like they're approximating human emotions rather than they are actually very pretty much exactly. So not not quirky, weird, but like. Well, you know, like data, right? In Star Trek, he's. Yeah, they, he, they he, all behave. Yeah, they all behave that. He gets he gets the, he gets the emotion chip right, and he's like, "What the fuck is this? Like, this is some weird emotions. Like, like he just does not know how to handle it." Mm-hmm. And I thought there was opportunity to kind of really explore what makes people people. How do the humans respond when they have these empathy chips? But instead, they just sort of become basic humans who are like basic disgruntled humans, and that that was sort of my issue. You lose a lot of I feel opportunity there when you basically just have two different types of humans, one made of metal, the other made of flesh, kind of, you know, arguing with each other. And that was my biggest complaint. I mean, when Razorball and his coworker were complaining to each other, I got like a real like Dante and 
Randall vibe from Clerks. You know, it's like you should be doing more. You've got to get it. And so I do think there was some nuance right. no, to no, no, no. That's... how the but there was some nuance to how the robots behaved with each other. Some were self interested. Some were after the cause of celebrity. The head from Orlando, et cetera, et cetera. That so, wasn't I mean, my issue. My issue was that these are robots with artificial emotions. They are AI powered, and he never really explored that. You know, I mean, he's setting up this world. He explores it sometimes. I mentioned, for instance, the algorithmic justice system. I thought that was freaking awesome. And that was sort of like what I would have loved for him to infuse the world with more of that weirdness. How would a world truly the run world. by Got AI, it. It. By, program, yeah. by, by these programs that are meant to replicate human emotion, how would they actually operate? And I felt by and large, it was basically like, they operated like humans. When they were using a computer, they were actually like using a freaking keyboard like humans. Like when he was going on 4chan, the 4chan analog, <laughs> he was like literally using like a laptop. And it's like, well, that's kind of a missed opportunity, right? How would these robots communicate with each other? How would they express emotion in a way that's different from the way humans express emotion? Here's what I'd say. It's like, but when you have, I, I get where you're going for. You just wanted a little bit more variation, world building, or even like a synthesis thing, like how all you know, Vulcans behave or positronic brains behave on Star Trek. But I I think it wasn't about showing everything because it really wasn't about showing it from the robot's point of view. It was there to show it from the societal's point of view with the kind of frog in boiling water. I well, mean, I don't agree with that entirely because the point of view is Snowball and the point of view is the family. So he really zeroing on these two, you know, on the family and on a robot. And obviously their conflicts are sort of magnified by what's happening in society. They're very much affected by the greater world. But I feel like he is zeroing in on specific people, on specific robots. And again, like, it's it's just this missed opportunity. You know what it is? Like, it, in Blade Runner, right? The least interesting part of Blade Runner is the replicant rebellion. And that's that's happening in the background. And I feel like with Russell, what he does is he brings that least interesting aspect of like Blade Runner and other sci-fi and brings it to the forefront and makes a story about that. And that's kind of what I was disappointed about. It's the missed opportunities in this very interesting concept that he's created. And you were seeing those missed opportunities as you were reading it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I only read it once. So yeah, you know, it, the first couple of pages, it's these robots sort of having this talk show conversation. And again, it felt very familiar. And the only thing that was different really, was that some of the people participating in the talk show were made out of metal. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. but what more can you do with that concept? And that's what I wanted to see. I wanted, really wanted to see Russell's full creativity that he had in like the Flintstones uh, yeah, on display here. World. And, 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 I didn't, and yeah. I didn't quite see that. It makes, I didn't really think of it as a race relations thing, but I think as from your perspective, it makes sense like two kind of very similar. And, and I think reading is afterward about the me too movement it's like is weinstein more human than he is robot like i don't think he's necessarily heartless he's just kind of drunk with his own power right which is where he thinks he has the ability to kind of act the way he is and thinks that he's kind of a immune to the reaction from both the public and from any type of police recourse so i think it's you know i don't i don't think it's that they're saying Weinstein, or that he's saying that Weinstein isn't a human. It's saying Weinstein's a corrupt version of a human, just like these robots are. Uh, well, I mean, the more t terrifying part was 
and this is just like taking it straight down the middle as like an AI robot thing, was how every time the robots justified their actions, it, the only time I've been a little afraid is, you know, in the Matrix when Agent Smith says, you know, we classified humans as a virus. And that, they're basically saying, hey, you guys, you know, you've lost your dinner privileges. You're not taking care of this shit. You're just going to kill everyone faster. So we're here to kind of just help you along. Like the ultimate nanny state. I don't know. I found that part kind of the scariest of, of kind of what, how the robots declared it. Because, you know, it hurts because it's true. Yeah, well, with the when the justice program, I guess, was saying, yeah. you know, it was like, it's a very, you know, cold form of justice. I forgot what, what the program said exactly. Like, you either want justice or you want, like, humanity, and you can't have both. And I thought that was really resonant because when you kind of reduce people to stats, right, that's essentially where you kind of uh, allow, like, genocide to happen. That's where you start to justify some real atrocities. And maybe that's where the book is going, obviously, because, you know, we only read volume one and there's there's certainly more to come. I, I almost I wasn't sure because it's been a while and I, I know comics take a while to make. I don't know if there's actually supposed to be a volume two. Like, I don't it's not that much of a continuation. It finishes its point at the end. I guess because it's called volume one. I assume there's a volume two somewhere in the works. Maybe it's just delayed, but it, and it also kind of ends in this sort of like it's taking it to this next level where it's this quest, which I have mixed I'm actually curious what you guys think about that. What do you guys, how do you guys feel about the ending? So the ending kind of ends with exile. And so you're leaving the world, you're going somewhere else. What was your take on that? Did that work for you? Did that not work for you? Yeah, I wasn't really sure. And especially like what right then into the afterwards, I was trying to think like, well, how does this relate to the Me Too movement? And I guess it's like, all right, take a Harvey Weinstein. Can he reboot and reset? Like, is there a world where... Victims are supposed to just forget about all these people implicated mm. in the Me Too movement and are just supposed to live with them. Like, is that it's like, all right, we're now just going to create a new society, kind of forgetting that this happened and hope it doesn't happen again, though, without any real accountability that comes with it. So I thought it was kind of I mean, it was a good thought exercise. I'm not sure. <laughs> what did you guys think of the end? Because I, I was also kind of like, where where did that leave us? Where do we what are they doing in Orlando with these dead people still relying on a. Uh, I mean, I've I've always wanted a, I films to kind of end you in a dark place and just walk away. And I think the first time I read it, I didn't realize that it was a volume one. You know, it just you know it's the first five issues, you know, of a limited series, and so it didn't really sink in until this time. And I was just like, it's fine. You kind of put everyone to bed at the end of the book, and it's almost like it's the end of a the sudden ending of a TV show. You just kind of like cut it. You know, these characters will be back for another episode. It, I didn't mind the ending, I guess is what I'm saying. If they never do it again, because I, I don't really know if you need, there's more to say. I mean, I guess Flintstones was two volumes, right? Like 10 issues. I think if the intention were truly to end it, then a good ending would have just been them like that. This is prescriptive, but like them walking out into the wasteland and you don't know what happens to them. You know, I, I feel like they he kind of created a lot of conflict and plot points. You know, he moved him to Orlando, killed off Grandma Robot, and replaced it with the robot that had previously tried to kill them, Snowball. So you kind of got this crew of two people and a robot looking for mom, and that's sort of like where Volume 1 ends. And that to me says, okay, you're planning, you have some sort of idea for a Volume 2. Or maybe not, because it's it's just like so Disney. I I don't know. Well, maybe not. Maybe we're being trolled. 
I think he, I, he he at least has some story, you know, some narrative threads that he can unravel and follow if he wants to do a volume two. You know, I, I feel like he killed Grandma Tron. What's her name? Grandroid? Too early? I actually, so, you know, I actually liked the... Wait, did they, did they kill Grandroid? She got shot. And it's not clear. I... I actually kind of like the idea of two kids and a robot grandma rather than two kids and a robot that forgot its identity, like a reprogrammed Terminator, I guess. No, because the grand droid was actually kind of interesting because she would just be like, I, I assume a normal grandma and then suddenly just interrupt with an ad. And I really thought that that's something that you could really <laughs> take to the next that level. That was great. That was yeah. And I sort of like, oh man, I hope she's not gone forever. I really do like the idea of these two kids wandering the desert with grandma just like and she's their only source of emotional connection except she's programmed to be like that and also she's ad supported that could have just been like a great scenario and it was a little bit disappointed that they kind of like replaced it with an amnesic robot instead because you know what the plot line there is oh will he ever recall recover his memories and try to kill the kids like he did the first time right and that's not where i would have done the typical thing it would have been just like the and then he you know, he has the capacity for good, and he is. And I'm not saying I would have liked that either. I just don't want Bond right. too. It's like Terminator. I, like, I feel like I'm done. Yeah. Can a Terminator be a human? I don't know. Like that's that's kind of the question. They and that's actually kind of one of my complaints. Like I saw a lot of like stuff in Not All Robots that I had seen before. Like that, like the ending kind of really reminded me of John Connor in Terminator Two with his pet Terminator, who had been reprogrammed. Snowball, right? The, did you ever? Do you guys watch Rick and Morty? I probably referenced From it more than a few times. Or too much. Right. Do you remember the lawnmower dog episode where the dogs become hyper-intelligent and build these mech suits? And the mm-hmm, dog, mm-hmm. whose name is Snowball, towers over his owner and he's like, where's my testicles, Summer? And that actually reminded me a lot of Snowball, it's the same damn name, the, the name of the disgruntled robot in Not All Robots. Same name, same kind of issues, kind of wants to rebel against its human owners, could probably tear down the door and tower over them, you know, I mean, that's just a legitimate fear that these people have, that that Snowball is going to, like, you know, kill them in their sleep. And so it's something that I had seen kind of like 10 years ago when I saw that episode of Rick and Morty. And it just kind of like came roaring back because it's literally the robot has the same name. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was one of the big complaints I had, like, throughout is like, I, I've seen this before. And I think a part but of that. Are you not entertained? I'm entertained. <laughs> But you have such a cool premise. Couldn't you have been like super original and entertaining? So, so you're just like a disappointed parent. You're just disappointed that he didn't do more. Dirt. I'm disappointed that you just like, you know, you you had this amazing canvas to work with. But I'm seeing a lot of sort of recycled sci-fi narr- tropes that I've literally seen in other in other sci-fi stories. Well, one of my favorite poets and parts that did wrap up if this was the only volume is the whole, you know, like biblical piece, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Another fantastic use of the mandroid. Right. And Ray gets his mandroid copy of his wife and then his wife gets banished. And then he's jealous of his neighbor's mandroid version of his wife who he then gives to him on his way out. I thought it was just an amazing original use of uh, well, again, that that moment that moment is i don't know how it directly applies but if you can see that whole segment of the toxic masculinity piece like it it's a pretty good zinger and i mean i think when maybe when we recognize that russell wasn't writing sci-fi ai bot dark mirror episodes he was 
doing very special Dark Mirror episodes that are trying to tell us something about something that wasn't this robot universe that we were creating more from. Whatever happened to his original wife? She was banished, so she lost whatever trial in the protest where she, I think she killed a robot to save her kids. She was banished. And, no, 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 the neighbor's yeah. wife. The, the neighbor, oh, wait, so the neighbor's, the neighbor's robot was an imitation of his own. Yeah. Of his Okay, the main family, the neighbor across the street gets a mandroid made of the main family's wife. Okay, I thought he got a, I thought he got a mandroid made after his own wife and he was just sharing her. <laughs> But that was no. <laughs> okay. I missed that entirely. That's, that's where if, if you read the dad of the main family as like a Chris Parnell character from Rick and Morty, that, that's kind of who he is. He's yeah, yeah, actually, that's He's a pretty a great good, yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. The dad made me like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Wh- why did the neighbor do that? Did they ever get into what the neighbor I, I, was going you, you for? Don't, there? You, don't, you don't need to know. You just know that he clearly has the hots for the other guy's wife. And that's maybe that I guess yeah. that could be a good enough reason, right? No. And the other guy is powerless and feckless to solve for it, just like he's powerless and feckless to kind of stand up to the house robot, right? He's just like, oh, everyone's everyone's fine. He's a pushover. That actually is. I would actually like to see a whole comic based off of that. Like the neighbor gets like a fuck doll based off of his own wife, and how does he re- like? That would be a, an amazing episode. I hope. I hope. I hope <laughs> volume two is like all of that. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because, like, there are some real moments of inspiration here. And I think when Russell kind of goes away from sort of like the meta conceit of this is about toxic masculinity, this is about some sort of greater societal issue, and really kind of like, like, okay, let me just create some weird ass scenario about what could happen if robots actually existed as human helpers, human replacements. And... I, I would have loved to have seen, you know, even do away with that sort of meta narrative of the robot rebellion, or at least put that in the background, because that's a story that we have all seen before. Disenfranchised class rebels against the ruling class, blood, chaos, exile. Put that all away, and then just kind of focus on some of the weirder aspects of this world and what happens because of it. And I feel like this could have been such a real powerful story. And then now it's kind of going into like the quest zone where they're trying to find the mom. But, you know, again, we've seen that sort of story before. Sorry for shitting in the cornflakes, Roman. <laughs> no, I, I think you were entertained, but you had different expectations along the way. Like, go. I guess, I, yeah, I'm entertained. You, you know, it's just like... You know, when you kind of go into a movie that you expect it to be like really freaking amazing and like just kind of open your mind and instead you get kind of like a run of the mill action movie. It's like, okay, it was entertaining, but it wasn't what it could be. It got kind of watered down somewhere with a story committee. And I feel with Mark Russell, maybe there wasn't a story committee, but there was this metaphor that he wanted to push onto this so he just kind of so he kind of played it safe yeah he didn't he didn't because he wanted to do one thing he didn't spend too much time doing all the other things that he could have done with it and he he kind of flirted with some of his choice i don't know i mean i mean right it's his choice but is it the right choice it's my choice to eat a it's it's my choice to eat a big mac is that the right choice i don't know it's tasty at the time but i sure get you know but it doesn't really i would would make the i would make the argument it's more his choice to be vegan and to like take the harder path 
be to do for a greater good. A Big Mac's not for the greater good. A Big Mac is because you want it. You want it so bad and you're just going to do the cheap and easy thing. And I don't think what he was doing was cheap and easy. I think he said, fuck all else. I'm taking this higher cause masked around as a metaphor on AIs and robots and fuck the rest of it. I don't need to do any of those other things. And yeah, but that undermines a story, though. That undermines, like, the possibilities of where the story could go because he's so intent on turning this into a metaphor for toxic masculinity or race relations or whatever that suddenly the characters don't become characters but conduits for a message. And mm. you lose mm. what makes them unique. You lose what makes this world unique and individualistic except for a few fleeting moments that are really inspired. And it's just like in seeing those moments, it's just like, oh, that's what this story could have been. It could have been so much more. It could have been weird and quirky and unusual. And instead, I got, you know, I, I think I just think your standards of weird and quirky and unusual. Like I thought it was weird and quirky. I mean, John, yeah, it's split down the middle. Did you find it? <laughs> Did you not find the robots weird, quirky, and amusing? I thought it was. A delight. I did not read it as a giant metaphor on my way through. I thought nor did I. Nor did a I, little, nor did I. I mean, they called it inhumane resources. I mean, it's just like so good. And grandma comes with ads because they can't afford yeah. the, the ad version. It's a user unfriendly. Yeah. Of like I just thought it was a delight. It was easy to read. The story maybe it was a little tried and true, but like did not feel tired to me at all. And I thought there was enough there just to make me laugh. Yeah. See, Ryan, you're the, you're the wrong one. No, not wrong. You're the one who's, who's got the aberration view. You need to just reset your programming, man. No, I I don't think so. I think this is, I, I this is, you know what? Because like everything that, jo- that you guys like, I like too. But it's just, I wanted more of it. You know, I like the grandma with ads. Damn, I really, I, I would have loved to have seen like an interaction with her and the different kids, her and the father, her and the mother. How did she integrate with the family, right? And it's kind of like a throwaway joke. And then she gets shot. And it's like, dude, that was an amazing character that you could have just really done so much with her. Yeah, but the joke's and- so good. One of the daughters like, Grandma, is that you? I thought you were dead. <laughs> she goes, well, based on this message of hope, and also some death. Like, are you interested in cryogenic freezing? Like, yes, that's an so amazing But that's the thing. It's only played as a joke, right? Like, what would have happened? Like, how does this actually register for the kid? What is the sort of betrayal that she feels? I guess I was, you know, like, like there is a whole opportunity there to explore. Like, what does that mean? I think it would have just gotten messy. Like, you could go down a few more paths, but then it would have been really fucking long and he wanted to like just tell a quick and fast story and by getting really fucking long it's not quick and fast anymore so we would have slowed down the pacing even to, to go down a few left lanes i mean i would have actually preferred for him to slow down the pacing a little bit because like the thing that's driving the story is the robot rebellion phone, then, it'll, then it'll be a phone book like berlin like you know that's heavy that's a read but i was not entertained i was moved by that because it spent so much time lingering in it and like i'm tired of fucking two and a half three hour part one movies. I just want like a good 90 minute economical fun ride. Well, you got a 90 minute part one movie. And it stands as its own. It stands as its own. No cliffhangers. Built, built fundamentally off of spare parts. I was, I was expecting like an actual not all robots. Like I get that he's playing it off the, you know, not all, not men, all men play, but you know, like especially I just read the Hyperion series and there's like, there are factions in AI. Like some people want to kill humans. Some are 
parasitic. Some, you know, want humans to thrive. And so I thought there was going to be a little bit more of like the factions within the robots, which hmm. you instead of, just got kind of got two levels of society. You're just yeah. kind of like meandering along or you're kill all humans. Yeah. I mean, I guess my argument is like you do away with sort of like the more common shit, like the robot rebellion, all of the plotty shit about, you know, around exile and stuff like that. And you just focus on telling stories that take place in this world. You're golden. He did that with Flintstones, right? He like he didn't. He didn't have like. I mean, there were arcs. There were. There were. There were. There were, there were, there were, there were certainly yeah. there were there were arcs, but there wasn't some sort of, you know. They were just living their life. Day-to-day. Yeah, they're just living their life, and through that, he's able to explore all of these really weird concepts and ideas, and and maybe that's what I I, I liked about the Flintstones that I was kind of expecting with not all robots that I didn't get with not all robots. It got very plotty, and suddenly the plot was driving everything. The metaphor was driving everything, and mm. I, I was losing some of those little. I mean, like he has, he takes breaks in Flintstones and has like stories from the point of view of the vacuum cleaner, the sentient vacuum cleaner. And it's, it's like an elephant. It's an elephant. An elephant vacuum cleaner, right? And what happens to it when it dies out? I mean, it's kind of horrible. Yeah, it was but a it's also really, really an issue. Right, yeah, but it's also yeah. really touching. And it's sort of, and that is that is what I expected with not all robots. So he did, it, he just, did it before. Not, not just it could have been not all quirky things, but every side avenue you go to is a common right. Thing. And I mean, more points to tell examples versus just a story. And you were talking about how, like, well, I don't want like this long, long ass fucking Berlin sort of epic. But would you put Flintstones in that category? Flintstones was shorter, but I and the the, the other part that Flintstones had an advantage to is like we kind of already know you know, the universe, the geography, et cetera. And you're just kind of reintroduced into it with a new kind of cynical take. That is true. Like he, he has a lot of material that's sort of established. So he doesn't need to kind of work from the ground up. He can kind of play off Fred Flintstone's personality and kind of like skewer it a little bit. He can play off, off of Barney's personality and, and, and kind of like put it in a different light, which he has to kind of start from scratch here. I understand. That. Yeah, you, you know, I, I actually he, don't remember who we read the Flintstones with. John, it wasn't you, right? Like you haven't read the Flintstones by Mark Russell. I have you? not. I've not. You're taking me back. I, I'm like thinking I, Flintstone, Jetsons, Hanna Barbera over here. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That's it. You that's, absolutely. The, the irony of that one, and listeners to that, like all ten listeners to this episode, like go back and listen to our Flintstones episode because it's. I, I think we were working together, John, when it came out. Like it just made all the lists of the best comic of the year. And as you can tell, it's not just like a reboot. It's it's kind of just a commentary on current capitalist society. Highly, highly recommend reading The Flintstones. And it sounds like, Ryan, you liked it better, though, because... Oh, I liked it way better, it, yeah. It kind of inhabited the universe, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it felt like, you know, he was sort of exploring all of these interesting facets of that world and what it means to be a part of that world that he's not doing... So you're not saying robots. slow it all the way down to Berlin, just like slow no, oh man. I mean, there's like it's a spectrum. It's not like either you're either Berlin or you're you know like a frivolous comic. There's you know, I just feel like when you introduce a, such interesting concepts and ideas, like the justice machine, or as you know, you guys were talking, the fuck doll wife, or grandma who's ad supported. Why do you just relegate it as a joke? He didn't do it in the Flintstones. He actually explored what that meant. And, you know, maybe that was, isn't something he wanted to do for this, but I feel like if he had, it would have been a much more memorable comic. And instead, all I kind of remember is sort of like, well, the plot of the robot revolution, which again, 
kind of seen that story before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it sounds like, like Mark, just switching gears, like Mark Russell did Flintstones and did this. It's all awards and it's all recent. Like, is he like the best guy writing new stuff these days? I, I think he kind of found his niche and has taken a bunch of risks. So he's done like, and again, in, in comics, it, you can write like 10 titles a year versus drawing takes a lot longer. So writers get a lot more bats. And once you kind of develop a little bit of critical mass for doing something fun or weird, everyone wants to kind of let you have carte blanche to do what you want. So he's having a moment is what I would say. I think that I've read a bunch of his other stuff and it's not as critical, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah. Critically acclaimed. So he's having a moment. He's He's getting more recognition, but he's a little underground still. Who's the big name? Is it, is it, is it Tom King? Tom King, yeah. Bendis is kind of past, but Bendis is like making a bunch of stuff and all mainstream stuff. So, yeah, he is a big deal, but not, I don't think some of those other names we said, John, would be known more than Mark Russell. All right. So, next to the last question, I think I know the answer though. Jonathan, would you recommend this? And if so, to whom? I would recommend this 100%. And I think it's like the whom is a, kind of anyone it's like i'd probably just post it on instagram stories be like go check it out <laughs> like whoever's kind of interested in like a you're like an influencer comic, you're like an influencer <laughs> yeah like i don't think it's as much of like a one-to-one hey you should read yeah. this and more like yeah, yeah. i think anybody could pick it up and the people who are going to see not all robots and be not interested like whatever and people who are i think would really enjoy it roman i think i, I know the answer yeah but this is one i i hate to say it this is one i would give to my friends who don't read comics right like john yeah. You know, good that's, choice that's for me. Yeah, it's exactly. It's just like it's a fun thing. Comics aren't all superheroes. Comics can be fun. Comics can tell a point. Comics can have their tongue in their cheek. So it's more of a recommendation versus my friends who overthink comics and expect way too much because they read way too many comics. I maybe it's <laughs> I actually wouldn't recommend this to the audiophiles of the comics universe to you. You know, yeah. So anyway, Ryan, who is. Even though you might not recommend this, if you had to recommend it to someone, <laughs> would, you, would you recommend it to your I, dumb I, friends, I, Roman and John? I, no, I, 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 I'd recommend it. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, you can kind of see some really cool ideas, and I, you know, it is, it is really fun to read. It's a quick one, and you know, you can kind of see the possibilities of, of, of what the story could be, and there are some moments that really just pop. So, yeah, I, I would maybe recommend it conditionally. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I know I'm, I'm, I was, like, kind of, like, shitting on it. I guess I guess it just was, like, it, it felt like a missed opportunity. But that doesn't discredit, like, all of some of the really cool things that Russell did within Not All Robots. So, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well ryan did you have another question for me yeah Roman, what are we reading next week well ryan next week we actually are going to get sweeter and happier because we continue our way through the alphabet to o and o is for on a sunbeam a graphic novel by tilly walden it's a sci-fi webcomic it's kind of this like spacefaring science fiction world following the development of the protagonist mia who joins the crew of a maintenance ship and just tries to reconnect with her lost love. So it's it's sweet, it's happy, you know, it's beautiful, and Ryan's going to find something wrong with it. But I leave you with a quote from Brian K. Vaughn of Saga and Paper Girls, books 
Tilly Walden is the future of comics, and Honest Sunbeam is her best work yet. It's a space story unlike any you've ever read with a rich, lived-in universe of complex characters. So maybe that'll be up to snuff for Ryan when we read On a Sunbeam. Isn't Zoe Thorogood the, the future of comics these days? Yeah, but this was a review written in 2018. So. Okay. Yeah. New future of comics. So, Zoe Thorogood. <laughs> but, John, so, I mean, this is a, I mean, I guess uh, this is a pretty fun, easy one. So, uh, you know. If and when you decide to read a 10th comic, you know, let us know. <laughs> Anytime. Happy to join, and I appreciate you guys inviting me to nerd out on references I don't understand. But I enjoy it, nonetheless. <laughs> and say provocative things <laughs> to 30 people. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.
problems plain to see Too much technology Machines to save our lives Machines dehumanize Kill boy. Who's your daddy? Kill boy. My name is Kill boy. My name is